Hello and welcome to this Small Animal Clinical Podcast brought to you from the Royal Veterinary College in London. My name is Shailen Jasani. Today it's my great pleasure to welcome Holly Smith. Holly is one of our most experienced and senior veterinary nurses in the Queen Mother Hospital for Animals. She has a diploma in Advanced Veterinary Nursing Surgical, a Level 3 Certificate in Hydrotherapy and is the head nurse for Neurology and Rehabilitation in the hospital. Holly has spent much of her career taking care of neurological and orthopaedic patients and was instrumental in establishing the hydrotherapy service offered by the hospital. So today's podcast is going to be a general introduction to rehabilitation, physiotherapy and hydrotherapy and I frankly can't think of anyone better place to discuss this with so thank you so much Holly for joining me today. Um, So Holly look it's my impression that not just here at the QMH but also kind of in the wider veterinary community there is a growing recognition of the potential benefits of physical rehabilitation, physiotherapy and hydrotherapy and that these are basically kind of growing disciplines. I think when we first met like a decade ago in this hospital, <laughs> um, there was a lot less of that going on. So do you think that the, the wider veterinary community is kind of engaging more with these disciplines and are there still people that believe in the merits and people that kind of poo-poo the merits of it? Definitely. Um, as you say, many moons ago, it was non-existent. Um, we, there was no commercial uh, hydrotherapy pools around. It was more people that have them in their back garden because they read about the benefits, couldn't find anywhere to swim their dog that was safe, so set up something themselves and gained experience that way. Uh, physiotherapy wasn't something that you really did for, uh, say, a cruciate rupture or something. The dog would just get the operation. When it was pain-free enough, it would go home and there wouldn't be necessary some follow-up physiotherapy when now there is a lot more to a successful cruciate repair than just a surgery. Um, a lot more people, I think, owners are aware that physiotherapy exists um, for animals um, and they are expecting higher standards, I think, of support after a surgery on their pet. And so we'll come and talk about physio and hydrotherapy in a bit more detail, but was there a period then when people were kind of offering those services but really weren't trained to offer those services? And are we pushing more towards now there being kind of training, qualifications, etc.? Yes, because um, certainly the pools that I used to take animals to myself with obviously client permission were just run by somebody who'd got a swimming pool in their back garden and that's what they would do and didn't even have any basic first aid knowledge um, or knowledge of mm. phys- you know, anatomy, physiology, anything of any injuries, conditions. So um, it was very dangerous, really, um, because they didn't have any history from that patient other than you know, maybe what was wrong with it, mm. uh, no underlying problems that it might have had, and how long they should swim it for, why they were swimming it, you know, what the benefits were. Um, and now we are going towards... Um, qualification for pool owners, pool people who run pools. There's no legislation, unfortunately, that is legally binding okay. for them. Um, but there are two uh, major sort of self-governing organisations that have been set up for people to become members of so that if you're looking for a pool, you can look up those associations okay. and you know that their members have had to fit a criteria so they have to have first aid um, knowledge, they have to have water management treatment knowledge, 
and just be a bit more aware of what can happen and what can't happen. And do those cover physiotherapy services and hydrotherapy services? Those organisations are just purely hydrotherapy. Physiotherapy is a bit more difficult because we have human physiotherapists and we have sort of veterinary physiotherapists, if you like, and they do cross over because the human physiotherapists can get a master's degree and become... um, practitioner in veterinary physiotherapy Um, and then you've got veterinary nurses a lot of the time and vets that want to become physios or do more physio and they have to go through a separate route and do um, a qualification through somewhere like University of Nottingham or Harper Adams um, which is a different qualification and the title physiotherapy physiotherapist is actually legally um, protected so they can't really call themselves Okay, a physiotherapist. So it, that isn't quite so simple. There are organisations that uh, the phys- human physiotherapists that have gone through to become veterinary physios are members of, um, called ACPAC, which will uh, mean that their members are up to date um, with all their um, techniques and uh, knowledge. And so can you be a member of kind of both the different societies, as it were, or...? Yeah, your hydrotherapy centre is more the member of the um, the associations and your members have to then, uh, or your staff have to have a certain amount of qualification. Okay, I understand. And um, in terms of the kind of believers and non-believers, I I guess to some degree a lot of the patients that we're talking about, certainly not all of them, but a lot of them are patients that have had some kind of surgical intervention. And what's your take on surgeons, in inverted commas, and are a lot of them, have they bought into the idea? Do they think it's sort of, well, you, you carry on, but I'm not sure how much difference it makes? Or do you think there are people that actually actively refuse these interventions? Um, sometimes I look at it in quite black and white. It's a Marmite situation. They either go for it or they don't. Yeah. It's a very defined line. You don't seem to get somebody who's hovering um, and would like to find out whether it works. They seem to have a set opinion that whether they think it works or it doesn't um an opinion based on not a lot (laughs) uh, because there isn't a lot of papers or studies out there for veterinary physiotherapy animal physiotherapy or they're non-existent in animal hydro um so it's quite difficult to prove to non-believers if you like the you know how it works and i have here a a paper a journal in my hand that gives you the figures the facts that proves it works. Um, Something that we want to try and work on here, and obviously we have lots of um, different departments here that work on those sorts of things, like structure and motion, clean investigation. Mm. We're looking into doing some things um, because we need to get the word out there that actually it does work, Mm. and you don't need to just take it on hearsay or, you know, what the client thinks. Because, so we won't go off on a tangent, but so the whole evidence-based medicine (coughs) thing is one of kind of my pet areas, and I guess... There's a lot of criticism about the level of evidence that we have for much of what we do in the veterinary profession in the first place. But you have to start somewhere. And I guess mm. you're saying that actually we don't really have we don't have any evidence, let aside not the best evidence. We just actually don't have any that's being published at the moment. And maybe that's the sort of stuff that, that we need to get people that... Because as you know, I, I've had my own dog have physio and hydro. I thought it did a great work for him. So I'm kind of in the believer camp, but I've also encountered colleagues who are a bit like, why are you bothering? So it's been, it's been an interesting experience from a, a personal point of view. Um, so let's move on and then talk a little bit about, the, um, about what physiotherapy is. 
Um, and as far as I can tell, again, I'm you know this is stuff that I'm not very familiar with, but as far as I can tell, there are kind of a variety of different techniques and interventions that are covered by the kind of label of physiotherapy. Um, so you, could you please explain in kind of simple terms essentially what physiotherapy is and then what sort of patients we should be considering it as a potential therapy for? Um, I think physiotherapy can be done on almost any patient um, in our hospital that comes into our care. Um, because a patient doesn't have to have a surgical procedure, doesn't have to be a neurological patient to be recumbent, mm. but still need physiotherapy. Mm. Um, the type of techniques I tend to do are to get things walking again, to get um, normal function from a limb again, um, and reduce pain. Um, that is my sort of function with it. So I will be doing massage techniques, um, warming up muscles like the petrissage, effleurage. We'll be doing... Okay, we're going to come on to this. <laughs> <laughs> doing range of motion. Really trying to restore what we call uh, a normal muscle memory so that that limb or that dog can then walk normally again and that the muscles don't remember abnormal as normal, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense yeah. um, and that we can get that do- dog to a functioning walk or using a limb normally I mean our goal is to get it as normal as possible and obviously pain free but physiotherapy can be um, chest care comes under the umbrella as physiotherapy we have different ways of um, loosening any secretions Mm -hmm. getting them to cough um, positional drainage and all that sort of thing as well uh, can be applied to recumbent animals that aren't recumbent because they're in neurology they're Mm -hmm. recumbent because they've got some other condition medical or otherwise that they need to have be looked after. Just a recumbent patient will benefit from massage, range of motion on joints, turning, chest care. Um, and I know that um, you know we've tried to get more engaged. By we, I mean kind of ICU people have tried to get more engaged with these sort of principles for some of our cases that that, as you say, are recumbent for other reasons. Um, and again, I always think that we we probably have a lot more room for much more improvement with those patients, but I guess everything takes time and there's also the practicalities and so on. But yes, I think this is a thing in a way, it covers a kind of a broad spectrum of different situations, doesn't it? Um, And then you mentioned some of these terms already. And again, passive range of motion, I guess is intuitive what that might mean. (laughs) But but effleurage and petrissage, these are words that people may have heard of, but could you just explain a little bit about what effleurage and petrissage are, please? Certainly. Um, Effleurage is uh, more of a stroking um, motion. We always uh, use it sort of like a warm-up, if you like, to get the animal used to being handled and touched, especially if it's after a a surgery. They might be a bit sore. They might be anticipating it to hurt, even though it's not painful anymore. So it's a nice, gentle way to introduce. Usually, if it's on a limb, we'll go um, distal to proximal, so we're um, hopefully reducing any edema or anything that might be there. But we're also just getting that animal um, used to us touching it, starting off warming up muscles. Um, The petrissage is more what people would think of the traditional massage, your kneading, your actually sort of not pummeling because that sounds <laughs> awful um but you're using more of a, you're the heel of your hand on big dogs to knead in a circular mm. motion on big muscle sort of bellies if you like so on the quads and the gluteals and that you can really get on a big dog you'd need the heel of your hand you use your thumbs on smaller dogs there's lots of different techniques um, that are more stimulative um rather than the effleurages and more relaxing 
thing to do, whereas petrissage used to really stimulate blood flow into the area and stimulate nerve endings and neuromuscular junctions to try and sort of wake up um, any muscles, especially when you're applying it to a neurological patient. And, and do you think these, I mean, these are techniques that you could teach quite easily to most people? Or? Yes, yeah. very. Very. We teach owners. We teach owners when yeah, they go home. Because again, I think that's the thing that, you know, if you say to someone, oh, this patient needs physiotherapy, and then you put it, let's say we said, oh, do physiotherapy every four hours. What, what are they going to, what are they doing? That's another one of those questions. Mm. Do people actually know these techniques and are doing them or are they kind of just flexing some joints? Yeah, I've done it now. So. <laughs> a lot um, of our techniques look like we're not doing a very lot, but yeah. taking a long time doing it. But, um, but I think you, you guys, because you know what you're doing, and I guess that's what I'm saying really is that there is more to it than oh, yeah. maybe people think. And mm. it's just about not having that knowledge, then you don't know that there is more to it than people mm. think. So I think it's, um, as you say, and the <laughs> fact that you can teach these things to people, owners, anybody relatively easily is great it's mm. just we need to get more people educated i guess mm. Mm. there's a lot more um techniques that are more complicated and have a lot more science behind them like you can go on to using um electromuscular stimulation mm. and laser and ultrasound um where we tend to just use the more basic um exercises because then owners obviously can do those yeah. and they're much simpler for them to carry out at home yeah and um Again, I guess those are things that have been extrapolated from, from humans in terms yeah. of the potential benefit for them. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And um, so that, let's move on and then talk about hydrotherapy. And again, I know it's kind of implicit in the name, but I guess if you could explain a little bit about what it is and also what are the different types of hydrotherapy treatments that are, that are available, that would be great. Um, well, hydrotherapy um, is the main key really is that it's a... Uh, non-weight-bearing, sort of non-concussive exercise because we're taking all the bod- animal's body weight when we're in the pool. So that way, gravity is taken out of the equation so things become a lot easier. Mm. If you're a neurological patient that's struggling with coordination and strength to be able to hold your own body weight in the pool, you don't have to worry about that. You can just move your limbs. And so we can go in there with the dog, stimulate a normal range of motion and start reintroducing patterning to that dog um, so it starts to move its legs in a more normal fashion other than trying to hold it up in a harness and things like that, which becomes mm. distressing possibly for the dog and the pool is, is better. Um, for joint dogs, very arthritic dogs or after surgery, again, you've taken the weight off the joint. There's no grinding in there, no horrible um, crepitus if the animal has arthritis or um, a dysplastic joint and so that they can actually put the joint through a better range of motion, probably increased flexion and extension because mm. it's more comfortable. And then we're building up muscle, which will in turn support the joint, which hopefully should help the condition. And, um, and so there's different, kind of, there's different things, right? There's, there's the pool, there's a treadmill. When do you start to think, well, this patient's more appropriate to go in the pool, this patient's more appropriate for the treadmill, this patient's both? Is there a... um, sometimes it's just purely the patient doesn't like being out of its depth, <laughs> so we'll go straight for treadmill. <laughs> but no, um, the, the pool is really good to relieve that pressure off of joints. Um, so if I have um, a joint surgery, I tend to start it in the pool because I want to minimise um, what I'm putting that joint through. Okay. Um, and so then we might do treadmill for is very good for gait re-education because i want to make sure that animal is weight bearing evenly that it's a walk it is using the limb properly so we can sort of fine tune it a bit more in the treadmill because the way the if you've ever tried to 
hop on a treadmill at the wrong speed or lose your footing, you realise that you can't do it. So a treadmill belt forces them into a normal pacing and it, and it really um, sort of makes them walk more normally and that will transition onto dry land afterwards if you keep doing it enough. Um, also, um, I think it's very good for the neurological patient that swims beautifully, but when it has its own body weight back on land, it can't because it, it still hasn't got the strength or quite the coordination. So in the treadmill, we can have the water very high, support it, and very gradually give it back its body weight by lowering the water. So we're teaching it to walk again on dry land after we've taught it to move normally again. Um, and we can put the water level at different heights to pinpoint joints if we want to increase a flexion or extension on a specific joint. Mm. We put the water at a specific level. Again, target muscles, because the resistance is greater at the surface of the water, so we want to target a muscle to do more work. We can put that level at the level of that muscle so it has to work harder. Excellent. Um, I guess... I wanted to kind of just, I guess, summarize in, in essence. So we said that we started talking about rehabilitation therapies, and I guess we've kind of covered it already, but it would be worth us actually considering considering it again, really, in terms of which patients would you think, okay, I'm going to do some physio on you, which patients do you think I'm going to do some hydro on you? And, and indeed, as with my own dog, he had physio for a while, then he went on to hydro, and presumably there are some patients that do that, and there are others that have both concurrently and I guess it would be useful for people because obviously you're you're very very familiar with all of this and being here I'm kind of a little bit familiar with it but for people that haven't really encountered or called on these services that are listening to this from practice or undergraduate students or whatever can we just give them a kind of broad summary of what sort of patients they might consider either of these kinds of therapies for in the hope that the next time they see one, they'll go, oh, this patient might benefit from one of these types of therapies. So we're covering ground we already have to a degree, but I think it's worth kind of going over again, really, about what sort of patients are we talking about with all these kinds of therapies. I think it's very important that even the most simplest, what we might think, bog-standard basic surgery, like a cruciate rupture or femoral head and neck excision, is a prime candidate for physiotherapy just okay. to make sure that that recovery is what we want it to be, that it gets full function back. And we've minimised complications. And without interrupting your flow, um, for a post-surgical patient, how soon after are you thinking about potentially starting physiotherapy? Um, with a cruciate patient, you can start um, thinking about physiotherapy straight away, really, because on recovery, we're ice-packing the joint. Um, so we're aut automatically starting with an anti-inflammatory okay. um, and pain-relieving um, sort of physio procedure. When you walk that dog out, the same day if it's GA, if it's recovered enough the next morning, just walking them really slowly will encourage the dog to toe-touch, start trying to use the, the limb. So there's very small things that you can do almost immediately. And then, you know, two weeks down the line at, um, you know, suture removal or whatever, you want to see how the dog's doing, that's when you should have the intervention of a physiotherapist if you think that animal isn't using it as well as it should be at that point or the owner you know, uh, needs a bit of support with how to rehabilitate the dog. And would we tend to ask owners in that period in between discharge and suture removal, do we tend to ask them to do anything at home or do we kind of say we'll see how the recovery goes and then... Um, we do. We, send, we will send them home with an ice pack if we feel it needs, still needs doing, but obviously the inflammatory phase of a wound can differ mm. um, and 
you know, there's no point ice packing if it doesn't need it anymore. Um, so we might do if we feel it still needs it. Um, we might ask them to do some very gentle flexion or extension on that joint. Um, and really it's the slow walking and, and encouraging the animal to put the leg down when it's out, maybe a bit of swaying or rebounding on, on that to try and get it to toe touch. Okay, so we've got um, post-op patients. We've got patients we've discussed already, patients that are... Uh, recumbent for any kind of period mm-hmm. of time and said that that physiotherapy may not just be related to the limbs but but the chest as well um i guess with hydro we're saying that again as ongoing rehabilitation for post-op patients then we would consider and so again i'm getting the sense that what we're saying is that especially with the post-operative patients that if you have recovered adequately with some physio and everything looks fine, then maybe you never end up having any hydro. On the other hand, you might go on to, or um, would encourage its use for all patients? Most or? physios and surgeons will recommend hydrotherapy okay. if, if they're believers yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> for uh, post op yeah. orthopedics. Um, we're seeing a lot of elbows at the moment, and it is proving very, very good for elbows um, because you've got to think that a lot of animals with joint problems hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, it's going to be a management system for mm. their life. Mm. Um, we're never going to cure it. So if you get in with these sorts of treatments um, early, physiotherapy and hydrotherapy, they might not have to revisit physiotherapy mm. after the initial sort of setup, um, but they can do hydrotherapy very regularly uh, and as frequently or as non-frequently as, as it suits the animal to manage its mobility and its pain to reduce the amount of um, treatments, actual medications they need to be on. Because mm-hmm. if they're a youngster, they're only going to need more and more medications as they get older because we know the condition will progress. Right, yeah. um, and I guess it's, it's slightly tangential, but I wanted to just briefly touch on the whole kind of weight control as a part of the management of some of these patients. But I guess... We can potentially use hydrotherapy as a way of exercising patients that are overweight, that might be kind of more joint-friendly, etc. So I wanted to just give you a little bit of time, really, to, to re-emphasize, I suppose, the importance of... Because it's something that, um, with my own dog, pretty much since I got him a year and a half ago, whatever, I'm very focused on making sure that he does not gain weight because of the problems he has with his limbs and stuff. So can you just kind of remind listeners about weight control, the importance of weight control, ways of... Because one of the things that people sometimes, or owners sometimes say, oh, is, you know, he's got bad joints, so I don't exercise him, but keep feeding him, and keeps putting him away, and you end up in this vicious circle in a way. Um, so, and I, and I guess I'm thinking that hydrotherapy, again, offers a potential solution for those kinds of problems as well, potentially. So just, yeah, if you could just talk to us about the weight control thing, that would be great. Oh, definitely. We end up almost doing a weight clinic with a lot of our orthopedic patients because, as you say, there's that vicious circle... Um, they may have been a bit chubby, mm. they ruptured their cruise ship or had a, a surgery on a hip or something like that. Then they had to be lead um, walked only or cage rested and they were given treats because they felt sorry for. Vicious circle, they can't lose the weight because they can't exercise the dog adequately on dry land. Um, we can get them to burn a lot more calories in the pool because it's, a, it's like running. The, you know, mm. as they say, a minute in the pool is equivalent to four minutes on dry land. So, and they're working hard when they're in there. That's um, that for all of us. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> swimming is swimming. <laughs> yeah, advocate swimming for every, everybody. Um, so it will help, but you have to make sure that your owner is um, 
sort of fully invested into the diet at home just because they're doing the swimming like mm. you or me just because we go to the gym doesn't mean i can't eat cake all day <laughs> it's not it's not going to cancel it out so they do have to make some modifications on diet as well but we see a really really vast improvement on um the animal's ability to just um get up you know from a sitting position without mm. being stiff the owner say oh he doesn't not stiff anymore he can you know go for walks he's uh, it's because of the weight loss together with looking after the joints by the non-weight bearing exercise mm. um and we see lots of arthritic patients um that are at the top end of their medication they can't really go for very long and they're gaining weight as soon as you get them in the pool regular pool visits regulate their diet then their medication can come down they're doing more they're more comfortable um and it's just an easier way to do sort of more sort of effective exercise for mm. a dog that's overweight than trying to take it for a longer walk yeah absolutely um and if it, they find it a bit cardiovascularly um challenging because they're a bit yeah. jobby you can always put them in the treadmill as a starter because that tends to be you know, more controllable with the speed of the belt so you can um, make it less intensive. And, and, and that, again, you know, is a, clearly a benefit to them to, to improve the efficiency of their cardiorespiratory yes. systems. <laughs> I go off on my ECC tangent. Um, excellent. There was two more things I wanted to ask you before we finish. The first um, was about cats because we've, we've sort of said dogs at times and patients at times, but I guess um, we know that we are talking a lot of the time about dogs in this sort of conversation. But what kind of, um, do a lot of these principles kind of cross over to cats? Do we do physio? Do we do hydrotherapy on cats? We do. Um, They're a lot more of an (laughs) independent patient, let's say. So sometimes physiotherapy is difficult because most dogs you can bribe with food and, you know, do a lot of exercises with the treats. Cats are, you know, they're (laughs) quite independent why should I do what you're asking me to do? Some exercises you can get away with play. If you've got a younger cat, some of them you're just going to have to try and be very patient with. Depends on temperament and whether they, you know, do want to do what you're asking them to do or trying to coerce them into doing. Uh, hydrotherapy with cats I've done. I've swum cats. I've treadmilled cats in our pool here, yes. Um, I would say it's very careful patient choice again that you've got got a cat that is... um, (laughs) <laughs> highly strong or hates water point blank so you have to talk to the owner our treadmill is so much more um well accepted by them because right. they can walk it's, mm. they've got the bottom there that they can feel so i've done since we've had the treadmill i've i've mainly gone towards treadmill um with the teeniest amount of water in it oh i have to show you the videos i have uh, so far we've had two bengals and a, a huge main coon and they're Got water up to the hip level, really? mid thigh to hip awesome. level, and they're striding away in there. <laughs> um, so, Fantastic. you know, it, it, it's applicable to. I've definitely to got to see that video. <laughs> there's probably stuff on the net, isn't there? Yeah. Random stuff, but um, excellent. And then the last thing I wanted to do, which I, we, it's really important that we um, that we cover it, really, is from a cost point of view, because obviously we spend all this time talking about the benefits of these therapies. Um, do you have a sense, obviously, you know what we charge here. Do you know have a sense of what other people charge for physio and hydro or hydro, but also whether insurance companies will cover, for patients that are insured, whether insurance companies will cover these costs or not, and any information about that would be really useful. Um, we try to be competitive in the pricing here. Um, our 
sort of edge on some of the other hydrotherapy centres, if you like. Maybe it's because we're all qualified vet, registered veterinary nurses that run the pool. So we have a, a further knowledge of the surgeries they've had and the conditions. A lot of our clients like to come back to the hydro here because they've seen the surgeons here mm. and they know that we'll you know, communicate with those surgeons directly if there's any issues, problems, or just with general feedback. Um, I think the insurance companies at first were very tentative and saw it as alternative therapies, mm. so it wasn't, it wasn't covered. Then they started to cover it. Now they tend to go towards just physiotherapy and seem to discount the hydrotherapy, mm. which is disappointing because mm. usually it's a physiotherapy uh, it's part of it it's not a set i don't see it as separate mm. i see hydrotherapy as part of a physiotherapy or mm. really maybe the better way to put it is part of rehabilitation or recuperation mm. yeah, because absolutely. um because also i guess the um you know some of that physio that you're talking about happens in the hospital prior to discharge and it's almost part of that i guess part of that claim for the condition because mm. it's sort of provided as part of the hospitalization yep. and so on Whereas the hydrotherapy is clearly seen as uh, is more ongoing and out with the initial presentation, so but but very important. So I think, mm. yeah, that is um, a lot of insurance companies, if they do let you claim for hydrotherapy, are quite particular about where you've been. So it's worth doing the research with your insurance company that okay. that you your pool might have to be affiliated with a veterinary surgery or hospital. It might have to be a member of um, either the CHA or NARCH for. Um, to know that their members have a certain criteria that they stick to. So it's worth checking that bit and um, giving them a ring before you, you know, go choose your centre. Because I, I imagine that's the sort of question that, you know, when if we can get more vets and, and um, to be recommending these therapies, I imagine it's a good question the owners will be asking them will be, Definitely. Will it, it be covered by insurance. So. It's a um, big financial commitment if you're going to do it more than once a week, you know, even weekly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just going to throw out a number here, but so if I said that a hydrotherapy session in the United Kingdom cost between twenty and forty pounds, does that sound about reasonable? Yeah. About right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know many now that are under twenty pounds, um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, the physio, I guess, is going to really depend on. So the sort of physio that we've talked about, post-op patients, is kind of included in the hospitalisation, I presume. But when you're coming to see a physiotherapist specifically, there will be costs for for all of that. Excellent. Um, I think we've covered all this stuff in more detail than I thought we would, which is great. Um, and is there anything else that you wanted to say, or do you think that we've kind of covered all the important stuff? As I say, I'm hoping we will come back and talk about other things. And we were talking before we started recording about uh, recumbent neurological patients. And actually, from my point of view as a kind of ICU person, the nursing of recumbent patients, again, is something that... Um, that I'm sure we can learn more from and, and we look forward to. So hopefully we can line you up for something like that uh, in the future. But is there anything else you want to say now or do you think we've kind of covered enough? Um, to use a horrible phrase, the take-home message. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> we like those. <laughs> hydro, hydro, hydro. Physio, 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 really. Because I, my main thing that I come up against is that it's seen as a last-ditch attempt to help an animal. Yeah. Um, when nothing else has worked, either for an arthritic animal, a dysplastic joint problem, something like that, which it's definitely not. The sooner you get it in, the better it is for the animal. So when the animal is diagnosed at six months of age with hip dysplasia, I would say, swim it. Yeah, We're going I, to tighten up that soft tissue yeah. faster than the, the joints are going to finish developing. So we're actually going to make a big difference. I think it's interesting because there's well, two things, really. One is that... Um, I think some of the non-believers 
uh, as a kind of part of their defense is that they think that the, that the people that do these things or the believers are kind of overblowing what they think they're achieving. And I'm like, they're not. You're just, mm. you're just saying that. And the other thing I think is interesting is that, you know, if you're a person and your doctor said, why don't you go and do these things or whatever, you'd, you'd go, right? Because you think yeah. it's good for you. <laughs> and yet there seems to be some kind of mental block with some people about pets having this stuff done. And I don't understand that either because if it makes sense for humans to have mm. done. So, yeah, no, I'm, you know, as I say, I'm in, in your camp. So. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's all good. But, yeah, Excellent. early intervention is always best even for the middle-aged dog that might be getting a bit stiff because they think it's developing arthritis yeah stick it on your non-steroidals have 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 a have your supplements whatever but think about hydrotherapy and is part of that early on yeah absolutely excellent um right well that's all that we're going to have time for today so thank you again for for coming down and joining me and to the listeners as always um do feel free to get in touch and provide your feedback so you can email me directly at schasani at rvc.ac.uk you can use the royal veterinary college's facebook page or you can tweet us at royal vet college using the hashtag saclinpod and if you have any questions specifically relating to hydrotherapy physiotherapy etc i will go and um, corner holly and ask them for you um so until next time then do take care of yourselves bye-bye